0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon from wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Ride on Track Podcast. My name is Connor Jonas, and we've got a wonderful show lined up for you today. I am not here alone, I'm also joined by my fine friend
1: Tom Parry. Hello, hello, Connor. Thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. You know, it is splendid to be here, as always. It's just us two again, isn't it, this week?
0: Sadly, Tom Denham is still away. But we have got another guest host here to help bring the energy to life, and that is...
2: Mel Sheery. Hello, Mel. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, guys. How are you doing? This has been a long time coming and it's finally happened. So very happy to be here. But how are you guys doing? Yeah, I'm doing well.
1: We're doing very well. And Mel, I have to tell you, it is such an honour to have you on the podcast. I've wanted you to be part of this podcast for so long. Oh, really? Yes, indeed. This is like absolute honour. No, no kidding. And, of course, we should also mention that Mel is the erstwhile voice of Sir Topham Hatt, who we had back in seasons four and five of our very podcast.
0: Yes. At the start of our podcast, you would hear the Sir Topham Hatt. You're listening to Round Track podcast. Mel was the voice of Sir Topham Hatt.
3: Absolutely! Fantastic greetings! Thank you very much for,
1: for
0: some reason, you have caught me out. Okay, back to the normal game. It's all good. It's And breathe, and breathe, okay? Rest your voice,
1: rest <laughs> your voice. Right on cue, just beautiful.
0: <laughs> Speaking of beauty, Tom Parry, what episodes are we looking at today?
1: Oh, you flattery you, Connor? We are talking about the Series 6 stories, Percy and the Haunted Mine, Middle Engine, and James and the Red Balloons. Three... Absolutely ripping classic yarns.
0: Yes, they are. Now, before we jump right into them, Mal, we need to ask you a few questions about your Thomas history.
2: Of course. Go for it. I'm very happy to do that. So, first of all, what
0: got you into Thomas?
2: Well, this is according to my father, who is 61 now. According to him, my first memory was I was two years old and I was holding a wooden railway James in my hand and I remember it being pushed in my buggy at the time. Anything past that, the earliest... I can think of after that would have been the your favorite story collection vhs that we had over here which was the 10 classic episode vhs that included introductions from children yeah i haven't really stopped loving thomas i've gone through the dark ages of the episodes and at the ripe old age of 28 i'm still hanging in there and very much channeling that in terms of children's entertainment so i don't think i'll ever be gone away from it
0: yes you're much like me you work in the children's entertainment industry
2: Yeah, I had no idea that you were dealing with the doubt with Thomas events in Puffing Billy. I had no idea about that, so I'm really pleased to hear that.
1: Mel, there are a couple of questions I wanted to ask you, one pertaining to Thomas and one not as much. Sure. The first one is, on our podcast, we've had a lot of guests who have said that they were fans of Thomas as a child, fell out of it in their teenage years and then got Mm. reacquainted with it.
2: Mm. I'm Mm. wanting
1: to ask you, what was it that kept your love of Thomas going? How did it endure?
2: really it was just the love about it really it was just the whole getting excited of new episodes like I'm more into the TV series stuff like when it comes to learning about steam engines in real life I'm not very knowledgeable about that I'm not as knowledgeable on railway series stuff I'm more of the TV buff I'm not really a fan of reading books in general because I much prefer moving imagery like this is the guy who grew up with picture books and I think it was just the fact that you know when you see the smiley face of Thomas that you just can't help but you know, tune in. So I have been through every single episode and I have rewatched pretty much all of them. And I just hang in there. And there's so many different iterations of Thomas in terms of lore, in terms of books, in terms of the toys and puzzles and TV shows, movies. So whatever new Thomas product, I still watch them, whether I like them or not, because I'm always intrigued to see. So I'm still as connected as I may have been When I was younger, perhaps a bit more. Mm.
1: Now, the second question I wanted to put to you, you are a very gifted impressionist. You're very good at imitating celebrities, not just Sir Topham Hatt, of course, but also Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean. I'm wondering, when was it that you discovered you had this gift or this knack for impersonating people?
2: Honestly, it was just the fascination of hearing voices. And I'm like, I can do that. I mean, You know, most voices I can't really do. I'm not good at a Scottish accent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But really, it's just a fascination. And in terms of getting into, like, acting stuff, do, 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 do you know what it was? It wasn't so much an impression. It was when David Tennant regenerated into Matt Smith. I kept emulating that at home, to be honest with you. But really, it's just a fascination. It's just something I do. It's something I can't help I do. And it especially works very well whenever I'm doing my professional work.
0: Now, Mel, you, you mentioned that one of your earliest VHS's was your favourite story collection. Yes. If that was your favourite story collection, mm. what are your favourite stories?
2: Uh, well, my top favourite episode of all time is Special Funnel. It kind of plays like something I would read in like a children's book or like a fairy tale kind of thing. It just has that feel... The scenery is excellent. It kind of feeds into that whole fairy tale vibe. And also, it's just a good thing that you would always hear, like, you know, the the train who never could or the train who wanted something better, the train who wanted a special funnel. That, I think, was one of the first ones I saw. Some of the first ones I saw included Edward Gordon and Henry, which is a favorite of mine, and also a close shaver's up there somewhere. In terms of modern ones, Henry Gets the Express, I thought, was a brilliant resurgence for the Henry character. And... My heart leaped when he was going up that hill with the coaches. So I was like, oh my God, there's he's back. <laughs> you know. it's The world's strongest engine is one of my absolute favourites. Oh, we covered that just last week. Yeah. I just love it how Diesel, he is so egotistical that eventually he gets his comeuppance. And it's just so good mm. that he's trying to prove he's strong as Henry. He
1: is as strong as Henry. He's strong as Henry. Connor, did... move on. We covered this, okay?
2: Just Fine, move on. Five. I'm not getting involved. I'm not getting involved. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, okay. To stay right on track, Parry, Mm -hmm. what is our first episode?
1: Well, the first story we're going to be covering in this episode of our podcast is Percy and the Haunted Mine. And in the clip you're about to hear Percy, his driver and his fireman, have stopped off at a signal when
3: something very spooky happens. Percy chuffed anxiously through the thickening fog. He doesn't like travelling to Maithwaite at night. The line passes through a junction next to a spooky old quarry mine. Percy hoped the signal at the junction would be green. He didn't want to stop next to the mine, but the signal was red. He had to stop. Suddenly... He saw something. Bouncing buffers! cried Percy. His driver hadn't seen the old chimney sink into the ground. The signal changed. Percy was so scared he steamed away as fast as he could. I adore
0: this story, in the Haunted Mind. Story by David Mitten, written by Robin Charteras. And it is filled with amazing visuals, some brilliant bits of music, and especially, like, prop work.
4: Mm, yes.
0: It's a great story, and I love it.
1: Hmm. I think this is one of the strongest stories of all of Series 6. I don't know about the two of you, but honestly, this is just top tier. This is like an Audrey worthy story. Just as I said in um, The Fogman, yeah, I think this is a, the kind of story that Audrey would write and he'd be very proud of.
0: I, I will say, this episode has got one fatal flaw,
1: though. Oh, ooh, ooh, okay.
0: It renames the competition.
1: Oh, you're, you're referring to the station competition now.
0: Yes. At the very start of the episode, they go the, all oh, the stations on the island hold the most beautiful station contest. Now, it's certainly clearer what it is, but it is by no means the best dressed station, which was the contest that appeared in series five episode bar, which also had Percy Encountering some problems when helping a competition that would win a beauty contest. Mm. I think
2: the fact controller might have faced legal issues over the former name, so maybe he had to do something.
0: <laughs> y- y- you know what? That might work. I'm almost certain there's bound to be a best dressed something
4: competition. <sighs>
1: Well, the thing about the name change is if you say best dressed station, you're judging it on how well dressed the station is. However, if it's a competition for the most beautiful station, then that just leaves it wide open. I mean, you could just put a stick of pot plant at Knapford and the judges would look at the rest of the station and go, this is really beautiful. And they would just award Knapford the prize. I mean.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> no effort of work going into it.
1: Hmm. So if you say best dressed, you at least have some expectation as to what you need to do in order to win the prize.
0: Exactly, exactly. This episode goes that there's the most beautiful station Mm -hmm. and Sir Topham wants Percy to collect some flowers Mm -hmm. and eventually garden gnomes for Lower Tidmouth Station. Now, this as a job is perfectly fine. It's just that Lower Tidmouth Station and where the trucks are at Maithwaite. Mm -hmm. Passes an abandoned spooky mine Now I adore all the scenes when Percy's at the haunted mine Because they are very reminiscent of Ghost Train
1: They're very atmospheric, I love it. Not just, like, the set decoration, but also the music and the pacing as well. It really gives you that sense of there is a haunted atmosphere.
0: There's almost, like, tiptoe music that happens with it. Yes. I love it so much. But as Percy goes to the haunted mine, something magical happens.
1: I don't know whether magical's the word. Well, I I say magical for two things. One, a magic harp plays... Okay. Not not just an ordinary harp, a magic harp.
0: It is a magic harp. The actual sound effect file is titled Magic Harp.
1: Oh, so you've been trolling the BBC's online sound library, have you, Connor? Uh, is that
0: I've been what you <laughs> All the sound libraries, okay? I've found the official whistle used in Scaredy engines. I've found the official rolling train effect that they've used. Like, I've got a gold mine of sound effects in my fingers now, and I love it. But, hmm. but the magical harp thing that happens is that a giant brick chimney sinks into the ground, and it is a solid 20, 30 feet tall, and it just sinks lower and lower as brick dust shoots out the side, the screen shakes a little bit, and Percy's rockets away.
1: Yes. And and that leads to a conversation with Donald and Douglas, who have retained their cheeky sort of Bill and Ben-esque persona from Twin Trouble. And they yes. say, it's due to the Naughty Norms. Yeah, like Mel, I can't do a very good Scottish accent. So once again, we express our apologies to all <laughs> Scottish people everywhere. Not uh, for the <laughs> accent,
0: just for us in general.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the
0: Naughty Norms. We, we fat men with big feet, strange things happen, legendary, steal your heels and filch your funnels. I won't Irish them, you know, do it worry. I'll
2: have a coffee, please.
0: <laughs> Whatever you say, man. But where this takes place, you may not recognise... But it is the first appearance since Series One of Marin Station.
1: Marin yeah. Station, which is far away at the top of Gordon's Hill.
0: I I don't know what's happened to Marin Station since it's been in storage
1: since Series One. But it's now curved. It is. You know, maybe an earthquake put the whole buildings out of joints and rails, and you know
0: just bent. It's near a strong gravitational field. <laughs> so everything's just sort of warped around. Oh it. dear. Or anytime you see Marin Station from Series 6 onwards, you're actually looking at it from the bottom of
1: a yeah, glass. Yeah, you can tell listeners that we didn't study physics at school. So. I, I, I did. Oh, did you now? Oh, Pity you didn't retain any of that information. Better that pass. So it comes to the second night and Percy is ordered to get trucks from the Haunted Mine and... As he's there, something else happens, does it not, Connor?
0: Yes, uh, another sinking building with the giant flywheel or cable wheel on top of it also sinks into the ground. And, And this time, Percy's driver and fireman see it. Yeah, so they
1: didn't notice the big crumbling chimney that was sinking into the ground, but they did notice the... Slightly lighter building sinking to the ground. Yeah, but it's also closer to the track. Oh, fair enough, yes. This scene, as Percy
0: sees the flywheel, we'll say, building collapse, something else then occurs.
2: Well, he bumps into the van and gnomes come outside and he thinks that it's the gnomes that are the cause of it and he just runs away. Percy runs away again. (laughs) True,
0: true. But there's a brilliant shot where Percy is running through the fog with his single headlamp on mm-hmm. and it. And it's like a singular shot. But I look at it. And were it not for the colouring and the different position of the headlamp, I would believe it was from a Ghost Train. Oh. Because it's so reminiscent of it. And that's one reason why I love this episode. But Percy runs away and goes to Lower Tidmouth and talks to Sir Topham. He explains that the old buildings are clapped into empty mine shafts. That's all. I'm sorry... But would not buildings, full-scale buildings collapsing into old mineshafts near an active railway line be concerning? Why is he so calm?
1: Well, yes, it would. Provided that the railways aren't actually over the old mineshafts, then, you know.
0: I agree with you, but mineshafts in the past (laughs) haven't been mapped many a time. So they mightn't even know Mm. And what's now causing these buildings to suddenly all
1: collapse at once? Well, it's probably the weight of the buildings on top of the old mine well, shafts. Yeah, but
0: buildings on top of the old mine
1: shafts, they've
0: been there for decades. They haven't collapsed
4: yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, it wears down over time, Connor. It's not just something that happens overnight. It's just this slow sinking feeling and eventually it's too much. And
0: Are you sure it doesn't happen overnight? Because in two consecutive nights when every time Percy's there, a building has collapsed. Well, it's a
1: coincidence.
0: I would go so far to say that either Percy's cursed or it's actually the movement of engines near them that's causing the collapse.
1: Oh, that—that that is actually, you know, a very um, valid... Physics-related uh, answer. Yeah, I was going to say that is an astute observation, Connor. Yes, and very Thank well you. thought out. But, mm-hmm.
0: apart from Sir Topham's disregard from safety, Percy then goes to collect the garden gnomes mm-hmm. and then lower to Smith wins the competition... And the station master's like, we couldn't have done it without your guard gnomes, and then everyone's happy at the end.
1: Mel, have you got anything further to add to our conversation? Are there any other observations you would made while watching this story?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting you brought up all those points, guys, because I've come to realise that in some ways, Pursing the Haunted Mine is a bit of a double or triple sequel to Ghost Train and Thomas Pershing the Dragon. In some ways, it's a bit of a spiritual success to, the, to that and as i mentioned percy runs away so it's a bit of a triple sequel for me but as a child i never really understood the whole sinking barn or houses thing as as one of you's mentioned so i never quite understood that and the whole throwaway line you know the old mine shops are just collapsing that's all but you know i'm i'm entertained by any tom steps so there's always like one bit of entertainment value at least but percy is so in character maybe slightly regressed compared to the previous series, but I just feel it's just so right for him. He's so accident prone, he's so innocent, and I just feel that I can't really see any other character filling that position of the lead role in the episode. And in terms of Donald and Douglas's scenes, that is just so right for them because you know that Percy shouldn't believe them you know what you kind of know what the twins mm. are going to say
1: and and um, to p- pick up on another point you made there Mel about Percy's character regressing i mean that's a criticism you could apply to series 6 as a whole really when compared to series 5 it kind of feels like the engines are more childlike and yeah. naive than they are in series 5 where they felt like you know veterans of the railway they knew what they were doing
2: Yeah, and then when you fast forward Mm. to the seventh season and then you go to Percy Gets It Right, suddenly he becomes a lot more Mm. agile. He becomes a bit more braver. He becomes a lot more competent of danger on the line. So there's a real shift once you go into the following series, actually. And then, in fact, his character kind of flip-flops between every modern season because then you go to series eight and he becomes a lot more vulnerable Mm. when he worries about being scrapped in the big mistake uh, story. Uh, And then Percy in the oil painting in 9, he becomes very bothersome over this painter. I didn't quite realise that until much recently. I'm always forgiven for stuff like that. Bit of a mishmash, season by season, for Percy. Mm.
0: Yeah. Now, one detail I do like. We We spoke about how teasing Percy about naughty gnomes uh, but Donald Douglas is very character. Mm-hmm. It's also very realistic. For the Scots have got many uh, different legend around them.
2: Oh, then you go about the Loch Ness Monster and stuff, yeah.
0: Well, not just about the Loch Ness Monster, but there are tons of stories about uh, Scottish fairies dividing the Seelie Court. Mm. But more specifically related to this, there are stories of the Scottish Peck, and the Peck are gnome-like creatures that are short of height, extremely strong, and battle against the Scots.
2: Is that why they call Donald and Douglas uh, peppery and proud? Mm. Because I wondered what that meant.
0: I believe that might be the case, yes.
2: Because when they said peppery and proud in Twin Trouble, I never quite understood that. As a child, I thought, Donald and Douglas got painted in pepper. I, I, I wasn't <laughs> quite sure what that meant.
1: They're,
0: they're, they're coated in pepper now, but...
1: Well, they're the same <laughs> colour, you know.
0: Yeah, it depends on what pepper.
1: Oh,
2: true, true.
0: For example, you can get blue pepper, just mix it with blue dye. <laughs> I
2: I didn't know that. <laughs>
0: yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just mix it with blue dye, then you've got blue pepper, it works. Mm. Now, this episode has got some good parts and amazing merch, because like there's one wooden railway set of the haunted mine that collapses and I always wanted it but I could never get it.
1: I wasn't aware that yeah. existed until now, so thank you for <laughs> letting me into that little secret, Master Jonas. Nor did I. Nor did I.
0: Yeah, yeah, the little wooden railway thing. It was just like a single building which you could get that had a pillar and a gate, and the gate could move left and right, which would be the points underneath and the tracks went underneath the building and then you could knock over a little pillar that would cause the roof to collapse it it, it was amazing and I always wanted it and that's one reason why I've always remembered this episode because I wanted that set Mm -hmm. apart from all of that I feel it's almost rushed
1: I don't think so, no where are you coming from, I don't feel it's rushed at all I think it's perfectly paced
0: I feel at least the ending is rushed
1: um No, I disagree with that too, actually.
0: Well, well, like, I mean, I... I, I'm just saying it's rushed.
1: (laughs) Okay, fine. Let's agree to
2: disagree. Mel, whose side are you on? Come on. For God's sake, kiss and make up, you two. I'm not... I don't know.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, what are your thoughts on the episode, though? Do you think it's good side, bad side?
2: I I mean, I, I don't really think it's bad at all. I mean, I know there's a few... Things that are certainly questionable, especially about the the haunted my thing, which even as an adult I still don't quite understand the whole sinker thing. But you know, I think you've got to suspend your head in part disbelief, and you just got to you know go along with the ride. Sometimes it's good to have the supernatural or comedic elements fused into one, and then you put one of the most innocent characters in there. So to me, it it works. I I, I haven't seen it in a while. I will admit, but. I certainly find it a good episode. Yeah. Um, Definitely not one of the most top tier ones, but it's certainly a good murky comedic watch with some fairly good imagery and some questionable stunts, which are handled very well by the model team, I should say.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes, absolutely.
0: So rankings.
1: Yes, I'll I'll lead off here. I'm going to give it a nine out of ten. I love... Just about everything about this, the atmosphere, the sets, the music, the throwbacks to previous stories, it's just all beautiful. I mean, the only complaint really is that it's a bit too self-referential, maybe, and of course, those criticisms about the buildings collapsing into mine shafts and why they're there, you know, that's valid as well. So yeah, Connor, your score? So for me,
0: what you
1: dislike, I like about it. (laughs) <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> I've loved the callbacks to Ghost Train and to Bar. I'm not so sure whether there's technically a callback to Percy Runs Away, but...
1: Well, he runs away. That's a that's a callback.
0: He definitely does run away. <laughs> the sinking buildings? I love that. My favourite part of the episode. It's This episode is what made me interested in Abandoned Mines. Really? Yeah. yeah. But what... I feel this episode can really improve upon would be definitely the pacing near the end. The station master goes, good job, Percy. And like, yeah, gnomes aren't naughty. They, they can be lucky. The end. It-, it feels weird. And they've renamed the competition thing, but eh. I-, I like it though. I do agree. It's a good episode. It's got great music. It's got brilliant shots. And as you said, Mel, brilliant job by the prop team so i'm hmm. going to give it a feel uh, probably another rewrite it could have been good so i'm going to give it a seven
1: okay then mel that just leaves you what would you give percy and the haunted mine out of 10 i find it a good breezy watch
2: i i always find it happy especially because season six is actually one of my favorite seasons what you guys kind of said about the rushed ending it's kind of what you guys mentioned about a surprise for Percy from the previous season mm-hmm. in the fact that when Percy and Bertie st- and Factual stop the runaway and then suddenly everything gets wrapped up within five seconds where Bertie is like, and you were right, Percy. And it's just like, wait, what happened there? <laughs> so it's, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like that in a way. So let's say it's a quadruple sequel, to Ghost Train. <laughs> 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 but, you know, I'm going to give it a rather ironic and appropriate six out of ten
1: okay uh i believe denim has shared with you his scores for yes this yes week's stories
0: so just to confirm parry i ranked at as seven mm-hmm. mel ranked at a six Denim rated it a
2: 5 out of 10. Oh, here we go.
0: So we've got a nice little descending or ascending order. And he said it's a nice little episode, however, it didn't hit as well as Scaredy Engine. Uh, Which I agree. We we covered Scaredy Engines last week. And going off that haunted high, this is now more like a spooky 7. You know, it's 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 slow.
1: No, I, I think this is stronger than scaredy engines, honestly. But that's just me.
0: Yes, yes. That is just you and no one else.
1: Uh, so. Well, just as Denim likes better late than ever and nobody else does.
2: Okay. We are not getting into that. <laughs> <laughs> I think better late but... than ever is okay, but I do find it confusing. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes.
0: Yes. Okay. Validation. Okay, okay before we start ranting and going off track parry what episode are we looking at next
1: the next story we're going to be looking at connor is middle engine what is a middle engine you might ask well i'm glad you did ask because you're about to hear what a middle engine is and what problems it causes in this very clip
3: but none of them likes being a middle engine it's no fun being stuck in the middle One morning, Percy was cheerfully collecting coal trucks from the smelter yards where Harry and Bert worked. They liked to play tricks on steam engines. Percy didn't want to fall for their tricks again. But before he knew it, he was stuck in the middle. Oh, bother, chuffed Percy crossly. Little green piggy in the middle, Harry teased. Percy's driver was cross. With trucks in front of him and trucks behind, Percy had to go slowly. James was in the yard when Percy steamed slowly by. It's slow coach Percy, James laughed. You wouldn't be laughing if you were stuck in the middle. Percy fumed.
0: And James won't be laughing later when he does find himself in the middle.
1: Mmm, yes, he does get his comeuppance eventually. So, tell us something about this very story, Middle Engine. Give me the facts.
0: So, Middle Engine is a story concept by David Mitten, but written by Brian Truman. And it covers the brilliant idea of engines being stuck in the middle of a train. A very real thing, but something that is not very commonly seen or heard of on railways.
1: So the story starts with Michelangelo briefly explaining what a middle engine is and why it's no fun. And then we go into Percy, who is becomes a middle engine due to the input of Ari and Bert, the diesel Class 8 engines who are at the Sodal Steelworks. This is the first time that the two of them have been referred to by name.
0: Yes, uh, last series it was only Bert that was referred Mm -hmm. to by name, and now we know that Ari is called Mm. Ari, and Bert also gets speaking roles.
1: Yes, indeed, and Ari is spelt apostrophe Mm A-R-R-Y. Which is it
0: supposed to be Harry or
1: Barry? Or Parry, even. (laughs) (laughs) What I
0: love about this is that every time James and Percy have become a middle engine, Ari and Bert say little piggy in the middle. Mm. Which I love because growing up Piggy in the middle was my favourite game.
1: Was it now? Mine was Duck Duck
0: Goose. Ah. Now, now, for those that don't know, Piggy in the Middle is a simple game where you've got three people. Two people are throwing a ball to each other. And then one person is between them trying to grab the ball in the air as it's being thrown. Mm. And that's the game of Piggy in the
1: Middle. It actually got banned at our primary school, believe it or not. Really? Yes, because the teachers believed that the game was endorsing bullying and ganging up.
0: You know, I can see that.
1: Even though it was your favourite game, I can see where they're coming from. I
0: I, I can see where they're coming from. I guess I was just sadistic
1: as a child. (laughs) Moving along though, uh, so after Percy becomes a middle engine, he has to go to the coal hopper. And as he's there, the back of his train is backed into by Henry. And suddenly Percy finds himself on the conveyor belt, which would normally send trucks up. But on this occasion, it's poor old Percy. He gets all the coal tipped out of his bunker, comes back down again. And the yard manager scolds him for causing confusion and delay. And then the fat controller admonishes Percy.
0: One of my favourite lines in this episode, though, Mm. comes from James, Mm -hmm. who says, you know, thinking no one can hear him, I could handle those diesels with bent buffers and a busted boiler.
1: I love that line. It's just beautiful. The music that comes after that, the little, (laughs) the sad trumpet. (laughs) Oh, it's just brilliant. It sounds so much like,
0: oh, I could take them on with, you know, one hand tied behind my back and only on one leg. It's got Mm. such a snarky, egotistical comment to it.
1: And then the fat controller goes, then you shall do Percy's work. (laughs) That is just brilliant comedy there. Just top notch. Mm. Love it. It
0: is. It is. And I
1: especially love in that same scene too, you've got (laughs) Gordon and Henry in the background smiling at James and his misfortune. Knowing that, yeah, yeah, you messed up.
0: Now, when Percy takes the trucks to the coaling plant, he takes them to the tipper. Now, for those that don't know, uh, tipper was very common on large industrial railways during the 1950s and 60s. And think of almost a horizontal elevating platform that Mm. is connected to a conveyor belt, which is what lifts up and down. And often what would happen is that Coal trucks would roll onto this platform. They'll be locked in place Mm -hmm. by little clips attached to the wheels, or maybe they are actually coupled or chained down. And then it is lifted up, and then they're tipped over to their side, or perhaps even upside down. Mm -hmm. Or the coal falls out into the coal hopper, which can later be used Mm. to fill up other coal trucks or tender engines.
1: That indeed. We... Did see, or rather you do see in the illustrations for the railway series, there is a coal hopper located at Tidmouth Sheds, where, of course, all the engines reside overnight. But we haven't actually seen one working like this in a television series until now.
0: Yes. Yes. It's a very modern design of one as well.
2: Very, very modern.
0: Yes. Mel, what are your thoughts?
2: I mean, I never quite understood... Percy getting the blame when really it was Henry's fault for buffing y- up yes, Percy.
1: Yeah. Percy is unfairly maligned for something which is totally and 100% yeah. not his fault.
0: And even yeah. even if you shift blame from Henry, Percy goes, "Those diesels made me a middle engine." Mm. And then Sir Chapman goes, "Nevertheless, nevertheless what?" we've got intrinsic proof here you've got the drivers who became you can't tell off percy because there was no one in the cab unless it has got immediate super strong way to clamp onto whatever engine is suddenly there Mm. percy should not be being lifted up yes hmm Someone needs to press a button to make it go up and down. Someone needs to tie Percy down because he has been literally lifted onto his cap.
1: Yes, we we actually do see, if you notice very, very carefully, the moment that Percy is pushed onto the little belt there and gets hoisted up, he doesn't appear to be attached to anything. And yet in the next scene, we do see that his coupling joints essentially have been fastened to some kind of chain. And that's what stops him from tipping over into the coal hopper up the top there. Oh, good! That would be a much more interesting story, wouldn't it? If Percy got stuck at the top of the coal dispenser,
0: upside down. Yes, that they would need to rip off the top of the dispenser. It, actually, they would. In fact, the dispenser itself wouldn't be able to support his weight. No, it wouldn't. That's a, that story is a lot darker. But but yeah, <laughs> how did Percy get attached to the couplings? Who was it that allowed this design to be in place? Furthermore, why isn't Henry being blamed? Yes. Why isn't the person in charge of the controls being blamed?
1: Yes, that too. Hmm. Shall we blame the signalman? Oh no, we can't. We can't really. I mean, we could, but nah.
0: We can't blame the yard manager. We we blame the controlman.
1: Well, we we could. We could. The yard manager's. He manages the entire yard. He's responsible for everything and everyone there in that yard, so... Including safety. And
0: because we have got no one else to Mm. blame here, apart from Percy, it would have to go to the coaling plant manager. I don't know about you, but Percy has been wrongfully
1: accused. Absolutely, he has.
0: He He needs, um... Oh, what's his name?
1: Atticus Finch? Atticus Finch, you're thinking of for The main protagonist from To Kill a Mockingbird. Read a book, Connor, honestly. I
0: read te- and, no, and, and To and Kill a Mockingbird.
1: No, To Kill a Mockingbird. Not To Kill a Mockingbird. That's like and then the... Pigeon Beer. Uh, wonderful. Anyways. <laughs> and so then it happens that James becomes a middle engine and rather than get on with his work, he just decides to stay put. And that's up to Percy to come and rescue him. He gets to the end of the line and the yard manager or the station master says, what's that big red engine doing in the middle? And (laughs) there he goes, he's learning to be a middle engine. And James tries to cover himself with steam hoping that no one would recognise him, but it's no good because there's only one big red engine on the island and everybody knows his name is James. Rosie,
0: James. Yes. Not Rosie. Wrong one.
1: Uh, yeah, at this point in time, Rosie hasn't been introduced yet. Yeah, In terms of the structure, the narrative and all that, it, it's fine. Like, it feels to me like a very basic Thomas story. I mean, the, the humor's great, of course, you know, seeing percy hoisted up having the coal tipped out and that's good and then the moments with james as well but uh otherwise there's not really a lot happening in this narrative i don't know what you think connor so i like this episode because it introduces
0: something about railways that just things don't like engines don't like being a middle engine Mm. and We haven't gotten that kind of introduction in the past and it hasn't been something like some engines like taking goods, trains, some don't. It's none of them like being a middle engine. Mm. And I adore that idea as an episode plot. And middle engines are a real thing. However, they are often quite dangerous for an engine, especially a singular engine, to be in the middle Mm. of a train as it's running. But yeah, I adore the idea that they've got an entire episode put around it. I am sad, though, that although they have reintroduced Ari and Bert for it, they are more so bullies instead of a general threat, as they were in Stepney Gets Lost.
4: Mm.
1: They're kind of like Bill and Ben, but without the twinkle in their eye, really.
0: Yes, yes, and the steam in their boiler. They're, They're just... Yes. They're not evil, they're just mean. Mm. But I do like the new appearance of the coaling plant. We technically did see it in the feature-length film. However, it was in a very different look. And Mm -hmm. I also love the introduction of a coal tipper. And the coaling plant is then going to appear for a few more series and even a movie slash special afterwards. Mm -hmm. It will become a very popular place in the show. So I enjoy that look. And I do love the banter.
1: Hmm. Yeah, Mel. Are there any other thoughts that you had on this story? Is there anything that Connor and I haven't touched upon that
2: you wanted to raise as well? I mean, I have no idea if Percy was really blocking a line when Henry bumped into him. I, I, I always was very kind of enamoured when Percy was being tipped in the coal, uh, sort of the coal plant mm-hmm. shaft.
0: One of the best accidents.
2: Yeah, I, as a child, I was a little bit scared of that actually because I was like, no, he's going to fall off whatever. Mm because it's just a slightly horrifying image, if you think about it. Um, t- I mean, in terms of, you know, James suddenly saying, oh, I can do this, and that's a tell of two halves this episode. The episode kind of feels disjointed to me, if I'm gonna be honest. Mm-hmm. Ari and Burt are not as evil as they were at the start, but to be fair, they weren't renamed And Stepney Gets Lost, they were just 2 users, and the lighting was so dark mm. and also so red that children might think them as maybe slightly different characters, but Arian Burt's characterization has kind of been very consistent across all the subsequent series, actually. Yes,
0: after this, it's mm. consistent.
2: But yeah, I, I think it's like one of the lesser sort of appreciated episodes. It's it's certainly weaker than the Haunted Mine episode. Sorry, I'm going to offend one of you, but that's just my mind. But as I said, I'm entertained by any episode, whatever. And from my recollection, I have watched it a little bit more than the Haunted Mine.
1: Hmm.
0: It, it is a good episode. So, rankings. I'll go Who, first. Who's going
1: first? All oh, right. You're on first. Okay.
0: No, no, no. Yours in the outfield.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Third base.
0: No. I adore this episode. It's got a very good accident. Not a crash, but accident. Mm-hmm. However, as you've said, mm. Percy shouldn't get the blame. However, it is very disjointed at times. Mm. And... Whilst the ending is better paced than the last one, and it's got a brilliant scene with James covering himself in smoke, I feel that maybe having very classic driver talking to James going, ''Show a wheel. We need to get this stuff moving Mm. anyways.'' And it's just not there because he goes, I'm not moving. And he didn't. (laughs) And then Percy comes and then at the harbour and then the end again. Perhaps if there was a little bit of Percy-James dynamic at the very start of the episode, Mm. before Percy becomes a middle engine, it would be better. But for me, I'm going to rank it a 6 out of 10.
2: I respectfully agree with your latter point that you made about Percy and James. Yeah, I respect that. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mel, your score? Probably a 5.
1: Okay, there we are. Um I'm okay. actually going to echo Connor and go with six out of ten. Look, it's as I said, it's not a particularly exciting story, but it's got a couple of good moments in there, particularly with the coal hopper. so for that reason, it just puts it above being a mediocre story. And what of Master Denham, Master Jonas? What did our very own Tom Denham gift middle engine?
0: You'd be surprised, because I am as well. Mm-hmm. Because he gifted a-, a 10 out of 10.
1: 10 out of 10? A Douglas out of a Douglas?
0: Yes, yes. Denham says, <clears throat> Great to see Ari and Burt, James and Percy are at peak. So, I'm not going to argue with Denham here.
1: Well, well, because we can't. He's not here to defend himself.
0: Exactly. It makes insulting him all the easier. <laughs>
1: And now, it is time for our regular musical break, or interlude, as we like to refer to it, here on Right On Track. And Connor, you have chosen this week's piece of music, and I believe it works wonderfully into what we may or may not be discussing next.
0: Yes, and we will be discussing it next, because the next song is called The Red Balloon. It is a song from the show, written by Michael Donald Jr. Campbell, and it is about a red balloon. Funny, that.
1: was The Red Balloon, a song composed by Mike O'Donnell, of course a friend of our podcast, and Junior Campbell. You are listening to Right On Track with Parry, Connor, and our special guest Mel Sheary, And we're heading into the final story that we'll be discussing today, which is none other than James and the Red Balloon. Connor, give us some context. What's happening in this clip?
0: Well, in this clip here, Thomas has just delivered... A brand new fancy big red balloon, not a party balloon. Too dry or airfield, however, James has some concerns.
3: What is that? huffed James. A hot air balloon, said Thomas. It will take holidaymakers on rides around the island. Taking holidaymakers on rides around the island is our job, wheezed James jealously. Then, as if by magic, the hot air balloon rose silently up into the sky. What if the hot air balloon takes our passengers away? Chuffed James. What will happen to us then? This made Thomas worry. Suddenly he wasn't so excited about the balloon.
1: Hmm. Yes. Thomas ought to be worried because those hot air balloons, they just travel so far and so fast. With so
0: many passengers on them.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah, you know, j- just a light breeze and they just, like, just whiskers them away, whiskers, whisks them away It's a cat Yeah, oh dear, I, I-, I apologise to everybody who speaks English <laughs>
0: um... <laughs> not, f- not for English, but just for our general existence <laughs> <laughs> So it is summertime on the island of Sodor and there are lots of summer visitors going around And Thomas has just collected a wonderful big red balloon to carry tourists up around the island. However, everything is not as peaceful as it seems, as James points out to Thomas, that the hot air balloon may take their passengers away. And then concern comes about to number one, number five, as everyone else seems to be enamoured by the Mm -hmm. balloon. And as they're concerned about it, the great big red balloon lands right in front and on top of James. And as he screams what's happening, ah! his hot air reinflates the balloon, and then it flies back up again.
1: <laughs> and without meaning to, yeah, he, uh, he he accidentally solved their problem and made another one for himself.
0: And after a quick talk with Sir Topham, he realises that they're not going to be replaced by a hot air balloon. They'll need a ride home in a train. Hmm and then James metaphorically looks up to the red balloon as it says at the end of the episode that sometimes at night he dreams that he can fly just like it.
1: Mm. I I do love that final scene. It's uh, just very special. Oh, Connor, now I understand this is another episode which is written by a screenwriter who is not David Mitten or Britt Olcroft.
0: In fact, it's got quite an interesting writing history to it. So, James and the Red Balloon, story by David Mitten, written by Jenny McDade. Mm-hmm. That's the TV series story of James and the Red Balloon. hmm However, the episode appears to be based off a 1990 Christopher Audrey story, James and the Balloons. Yes. Which also features a balloon falling on the line in front of James.
1: Yes, it does.
0: However, it doesn't land on top of him. And in that story, James picks up the balloonists and takes them back.
1: Mm -hmm. And Christopher
0: Audrey sadly wasn't credited for
1: it. No. Well, this is one thing that perplexed me too as a child because I actually had a copy of that very book and I had one of those book and tape packs that the ABC would put out to encourage children to read along and things like that. And when I saw the TV episode, it immediately brought my mind back to that particular book. Well, it's in the title, isn't it? James and the Balloon. But of course, the stories are somewhat different because... In James's story, it's like a hot air balloon festival and there's one balloon in particular that falls in front of him and it's James's job to get the balloon and its team to the finish line. Whereas in this TV story, what happens is the balloon falls in front of James and rather than transport it back to dry or airfield, which would have been a nice and fitting resolution, I think, to the conflict. Wouldn't you agree, Connor? Because in the story, of course... The Fat Controller explains to James that all these hot air balloon passengers, you know, they rely on rail transport. And I think you would have got that same moral yeah. from James simply transporting the basket and a deflated balloon back to dry or airfield.
0: If you want a different branch of thinking for it, here are the engines thinking about the balloon going to take away their passengers, when all of a sudden the balloon becomes one of their passengers. Yes. And there goes their worries about needing to be worried about the balloon. Hmm. But I'm afraid the story trail doesn't end there. Because although James and the Red Balloon, story by David Mitten, written by Jenny McDade, appears to be based off the 1919 Christopher Audrey story, James and the Balloons, that story itself appears to be based off a 1989 magazine story by Andrew Brenner. Oh, (laughs) wow. Which is called The Balloon Race which also has a balloon festival going and a balloon landing in front of James.
1: It's like a snake eating itself. It's just... Exactly. So, just for context,
0: 1989, Andrew Brenner wrote a magazine story called The Balloon Race, where a balloon fell down in front of James and took the passengers back to the balloon festival. 1990, Christopher Audrey rewrote that story in a book called James and the Balloons, Mm. where James wants to stay and watch the show, but he can't, But then he soon becomes a part of the show when the balloon lands in front of him, and he takes the balloonists and the balloon back to the show. Mm. And then he watches where the balloons land. And that has then inspired a story here in series six by David and Jenny McDade, where a balloon arrives, lands in front of and on top of James, and then James later becomes friends with the balloon. One thing I do like is that as Thomas is taking the balloon to Dryor, it explicitly goes, Yeah, he's taking it to the airfield at Dryor
1: hmm Yes, of course, in the original books, Dryor was located next to an airstrip. It is where harold is based i believe as well yes it is mm.
0: and tiger moth
1: and tiger moth yes
0: yes we, we even see him in this episode ah. but yeah i i do like on how they've now explicitly gone yeah there's an airfield here and whilst it was obvious enough the fact that they never
1: addressed there being an airfield there
0: i i feel having it said puts more concretion if that makes sense.
1: Mm, so you're saying it kind of solidifies its place.
0: Exactly. Yeah, the fact that they said
1: this is an airfield,
0: it's then always going to be an airfield.
1: And it makes you wonder, like, why are they keeping up the continuity for this in particular, in spite of everything? Because as we all know from previous stories in Series 6, continuity has just completely gone out the window. Like The engines work anywhere and everywhere that they have to but somehow they still think it's appropriate to have an airfield situated next to dry ore. I mean, why not just go all out and put it in, say, Peel Godred or something like that?
0: I feel the reason why would be because this is so far the only known airfield on the island until much, much later, until cooling all engines, where we get the Sodor Airport.
1: Um, Hmm. Mel, what are your... General thoughts on this story. Like, do you have any favourite moments? Is there anything you dislike about it?
2: I mean, it's definitely one of the most re-watchable entries of the whole of oh, commerce. Oh, yes, It's definitely. always on the compilations and stuff associated with that. I've never really seen this... Ranked lower. I mean, it's just just such an easy watch. It's a very classic adventure for James. I mean, in some ways other episodes would kind of emulate it in the way that engines fearing they are being replaced by something when really they're going to be running on the side Mm -hmm. of the railways, rather. I think there's an episode somewhere in one of the big world seasons where it kind of had that.
0: Well, it's referenced during series 20, Mm. uh, Hugo and the airship, where James mentions the red balloon. And of course, an airship and a hot air balloon do share plenty of similarities.
4: Oh,
2: okay. Yes. I might have missed that detail. Yeah. Yeah, other than that, I mean, you know, it's definitely something for James to get very frustrated about. They, they, they kind of didn't quite put as much vanity of James in terms of himself. But it's very well paced. Michael Angelus is especially energetic in this. He's very energetic across series six.
1: Yeah, we've we've said in a previous episode that yeah, this is probably Angelus at his peak. I mean, it's after this point he winds down a little bit.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if it's the fact that you know the sound engineering was very very good for for this series uh, alone. And, and you know, Michael is is my narrator. He's the one I really grew up with. And even when he's not at his most peak performance he is definitely still endearing to listen to partly because of his gravelly you know sound and his uniqueness mm. um but he's so enthusiastic in this especially when the balloon lands and going ah! yes <laughs> exactly <laughs> he really goes for it like his lungs are so there and it's like wow where did that mm. come from how high did he get <laughs> um and, you know but no i i think it all sets up very neatly towards the end i don't think the ending is rushed i know we were talking about that with the previous two entries but i think it's all nicely wrapped and the imagery especially at the end james kind of dreams in a way and you see the balloon floating away it's like oh oh, do you know what beautiful yeah yeah
0: on that note though i'm aware it isn't related to the story but our musical interlude song, The Red Balloon, mm-hmm. is of course based on this story and The Red Balloon.
1: Well, it's, it's based on uh, the theme, which is used throughout the story as well, which, which is beautiful, by the way. I mean, music just so gentle, so soothing. It's the kind of thing you could listen to on a loop and not get tired of. I mean, like most of Mike O'Donnell and Junior Campbell's compositions, I might add, but this one particularly, I feel, fits that bill.
0: If you were to describe this theme, Would you describe it sort of as a slight string thing, or would you describe it as a waltz?
1: Well, it's more of a waltz, really, because it goes one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Do you
0: know what else goes one, two, three in Thomas?
1: Uh, What Henry's theme does? Duck's theme does?
0: Duck? It appears to be that the Red Balloon's theme... Is exactly based off of Duck's theme Because they've got the same chord progression Mm -hmm. And the same one, two, three
4: Mm -hmm.
0: It's just that Duck's theme Has got a little bit more of a higher beat to it Mm -hmm. A little more bounce Mm -hmm. Apart from the usual light smooth string of the balloon
4: thing Mm -hmm.
0: but yes the red balloon song throughout it it talks about how everyone loves the red balloon
4: Mm -hmm.
0: at the very end it goes about how james likes the red balloon and how one day he hopes that he can see his friend again now that implies that the balloon is sentient sentient.
4: Ah.
0: and there are many sentient things on the island that don't have a face for example, the Express Coaches, mm-hmm. at least in the early series.
1: Butch in series five.
0: And on that note, we do actually see Butch in this episode as well with his face. And I believe this is the first time Butch is seen with a face.
1: You do, you believe correctly. Yes.
0: He won't actually get a character role until series 15 stuck on you.
1: Well, so that's, yeah, CGI era.
0: Yeah. So he's got a face and it's not. Going to be used Hmm. What
1: I really love About this story Is there's all these Smaller moments in there That sort of deviate from the main conflict But are nonetheless much appreciated
0: Exactly
1: You've got this introduction with Percy asking Thomas about the balloon You've got the cutaway Of the balloon travelling around the island And all the engines and their reactions To it Also we get to see George we George do. the steamroller
0: Yes However I have got a little bit Of an issue With George's appearance mm-hmm. Because when George Appears James and Thomas Are at a signal box Talking This is right before The big red balloon Lands on James mm-hmm. And they're talking about Oh There'll be no use For us engines And I feel that would have Been the perfect time For George To chime in And say Yeah Rotten rails
1: Railways are oh no good Turn them into the roads Exactly
0: and that opportunity is wasted. And it's it's a missed opportunity. Mm. But there are so many different characters that appear in this episode just in the background doing things, such as George, such as Stepney, who's mentioned by name. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, why was it? I was always curious why he was, why he was there. But to be fair, the fan in me is just like, oh.
0: Yeah, he's
1: mentioned by name.
2: Yes. We love that Stepney name drop.
0: Even the,
2: the Scottish twins,
0: which, of course, we heard in Percy and the Haunted Mine. Mm-hmm. And they have got my favourite bit of dialogue.
1: Why, it is a flautin' basket with fork in it. Whatever would they dream of next? Oh, uh, our Scottish accents haven't improved, but you know. No, no, they never will. <laughs>
0: no, <laughs> It's such a good little line. It's the kind of humour that you will put in there for the adult watching it.
2: Hmm. mm, I agree.
0: So, ranking-wise, what are you thinking, Mel?
2: It has to be an 8, straight in.
0: Okay, okay. I'm feeling a bit more generous than you. It's a beautiful episode, much better than the previous two we've covered. It's got so much love put into it and whilst there are some parts that definitely could use some work such as james needing a bit more vanity or there's the missed line from george but i feel it does so well with what it was trying to achieve and like it also mentions Stephanie Me by name so like it's got to be a nine from me.
1: Oh, <laughs> look, look, honestly, I love the story as well. It's definitely top tier. I think I love it just as much as I do Percy in the Haunted Mine. So it's going to be a nine out of ten from this man. From Mr. Denham, he only
0: ranked it an 8 out of 10, much like yourself, Mel. Mm-hmm. Saying, lovely to see so much going on. The hot air balloon adds a new level to production. Yeah,
2: yeah. And, and, and you know, we would kind of go back to that in the following season, although probably to a lesser extent in terms of story quality. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm.
0: But I'm afraid that brings us to the end of episode 47 of the Right on Track podcast. Mel, is there anything that you want to promote
2: yeah so i'm at mel shiri on twitter m-e-l-s-h-i-r-i i also have the roll along youtube which i do up to every now and then these days i try and do a mix of content for the children and occasionally some that the older fans might want i do have my roll along youtube on twitter at roll along b-t-o-n which stands mm-hmm. for brighton for those that wanted to know and also I have Train Master Sussex, which is part of the nationwide sort of franchise. So, you know, search facebook.com forward slash Train Master Sussex. But other than that, if I had some closing words, I would just like to say we've been hit hard by COVID. So many have been hit hard by mental health issues. We need to keep everything together. We need to help each other. I'm going on a bit, guys, but, you know, we've got to take care of ourselves. And I wish so many realized it. So that's my message to everyone, just to be nice and to care more.
0: A brilliant message, Mel. But we'll be back next week with more wonderful reviewing podcast madness for you to enjoy. And on that note, Pario, what are we looking up next week?
1: Well, in episode 48, we'll be joined by another special guest. And we hope to be looking at the stories Jack Frost, Gordon Takes a Tumble, Percy's Chocolate Crunch and Buffer Bother.
0: Ooh, four episodes, that's going to be a big one. In the meantime, you can keep in contact with us via our social media.
1: That indeed you can. We are on Facebook. You can visit Facebook.com forward slash right on track Thomas podcast and give us a like. You can find
0: our Instagram at TTTE underscore right on track.
1: And there's Twitter as well, at on track Thomas. Be sure to follow us there. And make sure
0: that you check out our website at right on forward slash
1: Podcast. Oh, does email as well, Connor? Don't forget email. Do you
0: want to say the email?
1: Yes, I do, absolutely, because I know what it is. It is right on track thomas at gmail.com. I knew that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's been a pleasure talking to you once more. Until that time comes, I'm still Connor.
2: I'm still Parry. And I'm still questionable.
0: And this has been the Right On Track Podcast. See you guys. Adios.
2: You heard him. Uh,
4: ba